Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, the Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the Universal Doug Roz, the inscrutable Eric Bond Barbagaris, and the masterful Michelle Shepardson. Today we have myself, Ange, along with Chuck and JT, and today we're going to talk about how we GMs can be a bit mean to our PCs to make the game better. Before we dive into that main topic, though, let's ask our Get to Know Gnome question. Today we're going to ask a two-part question. Uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? And then what kind of superpowers do you like having in role-playing games? Chuck, let's go with you. Great. I'm going to give the most chaotic evil answer possible. Uh, for me personally, I would love the kind of shape-shifting that very specifically lets you grow new body parts, turn into animals, or turn into other people because chaos! Uh, in games, however, I love telekinesis because it's an incredibly useful power in general, and because my husband thinks that telekinesis doesn't let you fly, so when we play in games together, the first thing that I do is always have my telekinetic character fly because he has the best irritated face, and it's amazing. That's awesome. JT, what about you? So for me personally, uh, I think as most folks know, I live pretty remote. So going grocery shopping and coming back, if you forget the milk or the bread or the whatever, it's another hour commitment to to go back into town to get the forgotten item and return home. So I would love either teleportation or flight, like a good speedy flight, maybe not supersonic, but you know, let's get there pretty quick. However, I have some hesitation about teleportation because, you know, first edition AD&D, you might land where you want, you might not. Even if you're familiar with the area, just rolling those dice every time I want to go get milk, yeah, I'm going to say probably not. So I'm going to stick with flight. As far as what I like, my RPGs, man, anything goes except for teleportation and flight and other, let's say, terrain bending superpowers. Point in case, I set up a bunch of overland encounters to get the group to the giant king where the penultimate battle of the campaign was going to take place. And... Uh, I made the mistake of allowing them to have Windwalk as a power. I actually gave it to them. It wasn't even like a, the character leveled up into it. Oops. Mm. So, yeah, they Windwalk past all my planning right to the giant king, and uh, shenanigans ensued. <laughs> so, boo on me. And what about you? So, I'm going to take that teleportation you discarded, because I just love the idea <laughs> of being able to travel cross-country instantly and be able to see my friends that are scattered all over the place, get to game with them. You know, it's like, you know what? I'll pack a bag once a day, take a teleportation trip out to Ohio, visit John and Paula and all my other friends in Ohio. You know, just give me the ability to travel. Like, I hate this whole long distance thing that's annoying. Now, in games, I'm also going to, like, Take what you don't want, JT. I love super speed. <laughs> I absolutely love super speed. I mean, I, I again, almost anything goes. I love playing a whole variety of of characters. My current superhero character is actually, she's kind of a psychic ninja. She can basically read objects and see their the object's history, but she was also raised in a cult, so she's really good at fighting and she's mostly just really good at drop her in the middle of a combat with a bunch of goons and she just takes them all out, you know, and she's a nice. lot of fun, but I do do love super speed. Awesome. So getting into our main topic, recently Chuck wrote the article, How to Do Bad Things and Get Away With It, Advice for the Contrary Game Master and Players. 
And I thought it would be an interesting conversation to have about how to be mean to your PCs for the benefit of the game, especially since this is something that I know I struggle with as a GM. Mm -hmm. And and just as a a spoiler alert, I think every good GM struggles with this to some degree, uh, because you, you can't be a truly oppositional game master and be good at it. They are not your enemies. These are people that you are playing a game with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I always feel like my players are going to somehow suddenly someday realize that I'm actually just soft and squishy and I'll never do anything truly horrible to them in the game. But, you know, because they, they, they don't act like they know that, but I feel like that that's completely obvious at the way I run games. But mm-hmm. still, so... Chuck, what was your inspiration for writing the article? Well, so I, I was just—I just found myself thinking about some of the really standard gaming advice that you tend to get: uh, don't meta game, show, don't tell—that that, that kind of really standard advice. And uh, I, I found myself thinking about how much I disagree with it sometimes. And specifically, I was thinking about the whole discussion that a lot of people tend to have: like, don't role play R O L L play, role play R O L E play. And the more I mature as a player and a game master, the more I disagree with that as a hard and fast rule. It can be a good rule, but I don't think that it should be the guiding star for anyone. And so I sort of mushed together all of those things and got some suggestions from some friends and came up with the clickbaitiest title that I could possibly think of and (laughs) threw it into an article together. And that's the mess that you have on Gnome Stew today. (laughs) It's a good mess. It's a good mess. (laughs) Oh, thank you. It is a good mess, yes. So, like, one of the issues I have with fan fiction, mm-hmm. and, like, it's a great training ground for any new author to just get in there and just write, but a lot of times what you see with some fan fiction is the author loves these characters so much, they're not willing to let anything bad happen to them, so mm-hmm. therefore you end up with this kind of boring story that doesn't really have any stakes or any drama to it. Mm-hmm. I actually read this massive... Mass Effect fan fiction. I mean, it was like a million words with all the parts she put together. Oh, wow. But you could watch the progression of how she got more and more attached to these characters and was unwilling to put them in any danger to the point that she did not have her two main characters involved in the epic climactic battle at the end of the story. Oh, no. That's, like, wow. no, no, we need to protect them at home. They're not allowed to go. And I'm like, then what have I been reading? You know, why, why <laughs> right? have I been on this journey with you if these characters don't get to have their moment in the sun defeating the big bad? But either right. way. So, so I was reading one of the Chronicles of Darkness books recently, and I'm, I'm getting back into that kind of urban fantasy sort of gaming. And uh, those books are just true works of art, particularly the second edition God Machine Chronicle stuff. Excellent, excellent system work. And one of the things that it brought up was the idea that the simplest story in the world is a person is thirsty and there's a glass of water on the table in front of them. And the story comes in what you put between this person and the glass of water. And you have to have those challenges and those setbacks and the points where players can succeed or or fail but never truly be defeated in order to have any kind of story whatsoever. And that kind of Mary Sue-ish fan fiction writing which is a lot of fun to write, less fun to read, is really a reluctance to have that part of the story, I feel like. <laughs> you, you said the glass of water thing, and all I could think of was Harley Quinn and her breakfast sandwich. That's actually <laughs> an excellent, I, I feel like an excellent example in a movie that I didn't enjoy as much as I felt like I should have. But well, that's 
That's neither here nor there. Yeah. We're not going to argue about Harley Quinn. So, <laughs> so I think like one of the things you have to understand with this is kind of the lines to be mean to your players with it. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want to you don't want to cross any lines. You know, we've I think we have an episode in the the archive somewhere about how not to fridge your players NPCs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so you don't want to cross that line, but you still want to give them stakes and challenges. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the distinction that's really important to bring up here is the difference between a defeat and a setback. If you're a GM and your goal is to defeat the players, then you should just have a cow fall on them from space and walk away because that's not what you need to do as a GM. Rocks fall, everyone dies. Yep. Right, yes. exactly. Your goal is not to defeat the players. Your goal is to challenge the players. Your goal is to give them something that they can conquer or temporarily fail to conquer in order to give tension to the story. And and that's a Absolutely. very important distinction, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, because knocking them down a peg will set them up for greater future successes, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if, 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 they're, if they're an Adonis, if they're the perfect character, right? They, they can never fail because their stats are so high or their equipment is so powerful or whatever the, 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 the mathematical reason is. If they're so potent that they will never fail a die roll, it, it's kind of boring, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. So you, you need to find that challenge that that, the, that set of characters maybe can't overcome mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that they can learn some humility, both as players and characters. And that humility will allow them to, uh, it'll give them motivation to strive for a success down the road. Mm-hmm. You know, as, a, as a kind of an example, when I was running my Eberron campaign, three of the six characters could cast Fireball. So in the span of three rounds, they could get off, I think, five fireballs. This this party was kind of death on wheels. Mm -hmm. So I (laughs) threw them up against a creature that was immune to fire, you know, and like it's it's like I let them have their 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 successes and just feel like absolute badasses with, you know, raining destruction down upon their enemies. But you got to challenge them once in a while. So oh, yeah. I threw, a, a, I think it was a pyrohydra against them that was immune to fire damage. So suddenly, like, they had to think outside the box and, and try different techniques to deal with this, this monster. Yep. And I, I think it's really important when you do that kind of thing to not have that happen every time. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's it, uh, the, the ultimate challenge for... To, to basically nullify the ultimate power of the group needs to be a rarity, mm-hmm. not, not, not the, uh, the usual, right? right? I, I think uh, I did something similar to you, Ange. This is rewinding decades ago, back to second edition AD&D. The party was fairly high level. Oh, gosh, probably getting close to 20th level. Of course, it's on a scale of 1 to 36 back mm-hmm. then. And they had the appropriate gear for their level. So they were very powerful. But I learned, I came to realize they were leaning more on their equipment for their successes than they were on their inherent capabilities, right? And I decided to change that by taking away their goods, taking away their toys. Mm -hmm. I set up a trap, made it fairly clear and obvious that it was a trap. And uh, the, I believe it was the Cavalier was like, ah, the bad guy's behind the door. I charged forward. I was like, 
Okay, so he sets off the trap, and the trap was a Mordenkainen's disjunction. Actually, a series of them. So it ended up enveloping the whole party in the spell effect. And we probably spent the next two hours rolling save versus magic, or save versus spell, for every piece of equipment, uh, magical equipment that they had. And I got to tell you, they did not roll well. Because uh, they're they're high, higher level, they're, they're saving throws fairly good. So I figured I would wipe out maybe 20% of their equipment. Mm-hmm. They came out with maybe 10% of their stuff Ooh. intact. It was it was rough. It was rougher than I anticipated, but I, I let the dice, mm-hmm. you know, lie where they rolled. And yeah, that was... Uh, uh, but I got to say the next probably 10 sessions that we played were... They were so engaged because... Mm-hmm. Now the dangers were real because mm-hmm. I had taken away all their protection and their magic swords and their potions and scrolls and you know one shot items and their rings and all that good stuff. I think so. that I think the key is to like understand the balance. Like you don't want to like if your players have specialized in fireball in mm-hmm. a particular type of thing, you don't want to mitigate that every single time they play. You want oh, to let them have yeah. those moments to be a badass, to basically do the cool thing, but then you want to like have moments where they can't rely on that. They need to think outside the box. And, you know, the same thing with the, the stuff and things like that. If you give your players something cool, don't take it away right away. Let them have mm-hmm. some time to play with it. Let them have some time to, you know, experience the cool factor. Because I've seen, I've seen GMs kind of hamstring their own games by you know the players have something cool and then it gets taken away almost immediately and like the players the players lose interest and enthusiasm for the game because this cool thing they thought they had is no longer an issue i think phil's talked about it with a masks campaign he was running where he basically they created the characters they may have been playing the characters for a little while but he put them in a situation where they lost their powers and it kind of tanked the momentum of the game because it kind of took away the thing that made the players invested in it. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like JT, your situation was like, that was actually, uh, you know, a, a judicious use of this type of thing, but you need to be careful about how you implement it and how you put it in play. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I actually just want to piggyback off of that. You mentioned earlier, Ange, that you fear that you are too much of a softie. And mm-hmm. I also fear that I am too much of a softie. I think every GM fears that to some degree. Or they're a jerk. Those are your two options. And those are your only two options. If you disagree, <laughs> feel free to call me names in the comments. Give me that engagement. Um, <laughs> but it's worth pointing out that the, if you struggle with that and you're afraid to be mean... Remember that the dice can be a million times meaner than you can. Oh, and, yeah. And that means that you can outsource some of that jerkiness to the dice, first of all. But second, be aware that those dice can be really big jerks. So don't have your character or your player's survival hinge on that. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. yeah. And to piggyback on that, failure in combat doesn't mean a total party kill. Right. Doesn't even mean a character death, right? They can retreat, mm-hmm. they can run away, they cannot accomplish their goal of the day, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. But you need to educate your players in that, let them know that running away is a legit option. Mm-hmm. Then there's ways to do that. You can just flat out say it, you know, during your session zero, hey, I'm going to be running a challenging game. 
running away to survive is cool. Although you know, I, I, I had yeah. the, the exact opposite problem with that recently. I ran a game where they were on a space science fiction game. They're on a derelict spaceship. They've only explored like one tenth of the ship. And like I had planted all this cool stuff further in on the ship for them to find. But then they find out the ship is inhabited by this energy being. And their immediate response was like, run away. Like, and I'm oh, like, no. but the plot, uh, I had the stuff. plot is the over plot. there. And yeah. how do I give this one character the cool thing he's supposed to get this session if you guys completely walk away from all of the cool stuff? Yep. I had the same thing happen. Um, Saturday night, similar thing. Yeah. Yeah. They just ran away. I was like, oh. And I'm like. There was cool stuff on there. Like, I wouldn't have killed you guys. You know, it's 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 the, the adventures that way. But I had two players who who tend to play much more like as if the character was them. So they're much mm-hmm. more cautious okay. and conservative rather than, you know, the the um, the ride it like you stole it type of mm-hmm. attitude other people have towards their characters, <laughs> yeah. you know, but. That's why I'm like, but you guys, I'm a softy. I wouldn't hurt you if you explored the rest of this ship. You just get harassed by this energy creature along the way. So I have a question for the two of you mm-hmm. uh, that, that's along the lines of this. Uh, many years ago, I, maybe not too many years ago, relative to how long I've been gaming. Anyway, I had a group that I was running, and they had clearly been abused by previous game masters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they they would do the analysis paralysis thing to find every possible to close every loophole that I could possibly throw at them for their plan of action, and I was like, guys, just make a plan of action and follow through with it. I, I'm not here to screw you over. And I kept telling them that mm-hmm. repeatedly, but they fell back into their old habits. Uh, it, it's like uh, being around an abused dog, right? They're, yeah. they're jumpy, they're twitchy, and I could tell they had been abused by a previous game master, and I couldn't get them over it. Any advice for well me or others? out there listening on how do you get somebody to recover from a truly mean game master? So I, I have two pieces. I'm sorry, Ange, I didn't want to, I, I saw you. No, 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 no go for it. Because like, I was going to say what you said you did is kind of the path I would have taken JT. You know, I have actually done that with my group. Uh, when we started playing this current uncharted worlds campaign, it's part by the apocalypse. And I had to sit down and be like, look, you have to be proactive. You have to, when you tell me what your character is doing, the character has to be doing something. You can't tell me you're waiting for something else to happen like you would in a D&D game and you're waiting for something to trigger your action. You need to do a thing so I can respond to it. You know, right. and I had to like kind of pull this out of them because it wasn't a, <laughs> a style they were used to playing with. But I would have done what you said you did, which was basically talk to them, you know, and explain to them, you know, like, you know, I'm not here to be your enemy. I'm, I'm, I want to see your characters do cool stuff too, you know? So right. it, it, it can take a lot to get through to players who've played with GMs who are, are abusive, you know, yeah. that are, that are kind of obnoxious and, and hardcore about certain things. Yeah. Ad- adversarial. So I, I would actually exactly the same advice, tell them, I am not here to be your enemy. You need to take some sort of action. I think that's critical, but also actions in some ways speak louder than words. And this is maybe a little bit extreme, but I, I have a friend, uh, hey Deuce, if you're listening to this, uh, who has the best table management I have ever seen in any game ever, and I've played a lot of games. And his go-to move is 
this is taking too long. What are you doing? One, two, three. And so it's almost a three-part thing where you say, okay, I am not your enemy. You need to make a decision, one, two, three. And then regardless of what that decision is, don't do the jerk thing. Like, give them setbacks, uh, yeah. give them challenges, but show them that you are not out to TPK them because they didn't think hard enough. Right. And I think that's really the thing that you need to do. And the other thing is uh, raise, your, raise your gamers right. Like, oh, yeah. go out and find new gamers, and let's have a whole generation of gamers who didn't have to deal with the Cheeto-dusted horror of the GM that wants a TPK. <laughs> right. Uh, agreed. agreed. Yeah. I don't know where they're still coming from. I honestly don't. Like, I ran into one a few years ago at a con, and he was basically all excited because his game was going to be a TPK, and I'm like, then why am I sitting at your table? Right? Yeah. And, like, I don't know, like, and he wasn't, he wasn't an old grognard. He was a young college kid, and I'm like, what are well, you so, doing? So here's my question. Here's my question. Okay, so you always have, you always have, and I think I've mentioned this before, you always have two games when you're playing RPGs. The first game is the game that you are playing with dice and character sheets and plot. The second and more important game is the game that you are playing of trying to make sure everybody has fun. And one of the tactics for making sure everybody has fun is to create a feeling of tension or danger. And this is something that I've done. I have definitely tried to act like my players are going to die in a thing <laughs> to make them more afraid. So it is possible that this could be some sort of like Machiavellian, like secretly really nice person who just wants everybody to be really afraid because they know that makes a better game. <laughs> Maybe I don't think so in that particular situation, but that's that's a that's a story that doesn't really need to be delved into right now. Well, wow, that's a shame. <laughs> oh, I was trying to yeah. be aggressively uh, optimistic there. <laughs> no, I, I like that approach though. The the high tension, the mm -hmm. you know muha ha uh, moments of oh I've got you now. Mm -hmm. uh, nudge nudge, wink wink. Not really. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, just to you know. Because Angie said she's super nice in her game. Chuck, you've admitted to it as well. I'm kind of, I guess I'm the mean one in the group. I, I Anybody that's read my books knows that I just, I kick the shit out of my protagonist. <laughs> it, it should be done in fiction. I kind of do the same thing to my player. The player characters, not my players. Right, that's, that's, a, that's an important distinction. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. So to, to my, my the characters in the game, I do mean things to them, but it's never permanently damaging. Mm -hmm. I don't like, you know, give them a permanent uh, disability unless that's the style or, you know, unless that's the game we're actually playing. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of shy away from permanently changing players or characters, damn it, uh, permanently changing characters mm -hmm. in, the, in a negative light. At the end of the day, they typically come out stronger, bigger, better, more. Mm -hmm than they were at the start of the, 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 I the think day. One of so. the, the keys is, is that, and I, I've, I've talked about this before, but is respecting the competence of the characters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can handle a GM throwing challenge after challenge after challenge at my character. If I know he also respects the things that that character is competent at, mm -hmm. you know, like if I have a GM who's just, expecting me expecting us to screw up on things you know it's like no my character is an adventurer they've been doing this for a while they wouldn't do something stupid like that you know that so i think right. that is if as long as you respect the competency of the characters and what the character is actually good at you can throw stuff at them you just still need to have that respect for what mm -hmm. they're capable of 
leaven, leaven the down notes with the up notes. And we won't, I, I don't think, go into a whole uh, tangent about that. Um, <laughs> but, but absolutely acknowledge that characters should have those triumphs to go with the challenges and the setbacks. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, any last words on this topic? We should probably start wrapping up. No, I think we covered it pretty well. Yeah. 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 It's okay to be nice to your players. Just make them think you're being mean. Right. Exactly. That, that's there in a nutshell. That's the TLDL version <laughs> of this particular. But you podcast. had to listen to the whole thing to get to this part. Uh, uh, we should have put that at the front. No, because then anyway, people yeah. wouldn't listen to it. Come on. Oh, oh, you're right. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Got to stay on this too. <laughs> this show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by the Nerfalicious Foam Bat, course correction to use on players for making outrageous decisions that get them into danger. If you need to knock a clue into your player's head, reach for the Nerfalicious Foam Bat for course correction. Actually, harming your players is not condoned or endorsed by Gnome Stew. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Misdirected Mark. Phil, Bob, and Jerry go live every Tuesday evening at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern to break down and get inside games, game mastering, role-playing games, and game design in an effort to entertain and inform you. You can find all of us at GnomeStew.com, at GnomeStew on Twitter, and GnomeStew on Facebook. Where else can we find you folks on the internet? Chuck, go! I am at innocuouschuck on Twitter.com, but I'm largely absent from it, so enjoy the cricket chirping. And what about you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as orikes13, O-R-I-K-S-13, though Twitter is, same with Chuck, kind of mostly dead right now, and Instagram is a lot of pictures of my cats. How about you, JT? So for me on Twitter is at JT Evans. Uh, largely, I reply to other people's conversations and not start any of my own. Go figure. If you want to find other social media outlets that I'm on, uh, hit me up on my website, jtevans.net. Look at the top of every page and you'll find all the neat links there. So basically, the summary of all of this is if you want to hear from us, just go to Gnome Stew. Yeah. 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 So do you think we avoided the stew this week or is John just going to be really mean? You know, I prefer to think of it as an alternative hot tub. Nice, I'm down for that. <laughs> Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. This is totally the first time we're recording this, Rob. Totally. Totally, yes, absolutely. <laughs>